So I want to ask you this question. Why are we doing what it is that we're doing? Why is it? You know, why are we here? Why are we gathering? Why are we coming together? Why are we singing songs? Why do we always do four songs and then a message and then an altar call challenge and an exhortation? And, you know, why do we do this whole progression? Why are we doing what we're doing? And I think it's a really important question for the church of our generation right now to start to think about because just, just track me on this. If we are merely attending church without truly making disciples then we are actually contributing to the greater problem of disillusionment in our society. You follow what I'm saying? So would you just say with me, I want to make sure we understand. This isn't on your note card and, and all that, but I want to make sure we understand. Would you say merely attending church, merely attending church. versus truly making disciples? <clears throat> and, and like Jesus didn't die so we could go to church. He didn't die so we could go to church. He died to empower us to be the church that he's called us to be. And so what we want to do today is just talk through some of those things and then empower everybody to stand and bring something in worship. We want to release something in this house. And we want to understand, and let me just say it again because it's a really important phrase, the essence of kind of the season God's called us into. If we are merely attending church without truly making disciples, then we're contributing to the greater problem of disillusionment in our society that does not understand why the church is so ineffective. And I believe God wants us to understand the importance of personal ministry. Personal ministry. Jesus wants to empower us to places of personal ministry. So let's show up ready to grow. Let's show up ready. You know, you don't have to be on the greeting team to be smiley and greeting people as you come in, right? You don't have to just show up and come find a seat and sit and wait for things to begin because remember, you can't go to church because you are the church, so let's be the church. When we show up as the church and gather as the church, we can actually do that. I said that a few weeks ago, and there's a young man sitting over here with his dad, about 10 years old, uh, Dewey Bean, he works some, with our kids, You'll, you might know him, but uh, his, his son, as they left, Dewey said to his son, come on, son, we've got to leave church so we can go to the store. And Dewey looked at his dad and he said, dad, did you hear the pastor? If you can't go to church, then you can't leave the church because we are the church. <laughs> come on, 10 years old, telling it like it is. <laughs> so I want to invite you, as when we gather Let's gather with an expectation. Let's walk in. We don't have to be on the greeting team to be smiley and greeting. We don't have to be on the coffee team to prefer and serve others. You don't have to be on the worship team to bring something in worship. How you know the worship team, we're not going to wait for them to get up here and see if they kind of feel it or not, right? They're going to bring what God's assigned them to bring. We all need to be about that. So, so why are we doing what we're doing? Because God's called us to be the church that's full of the Spirit and power of God, demonstrating that His kingdom is here in the earth. And I want us to gather in that same fashion, in that same capacity. So, so these are our five core values. We've put them in a statement form, and we rehearse this over, you know, repeatedly so that we can all get it. Uh, you know, you kind of have your values out there, and you hope everybody remembers them. But we, put it, we worked on putting it together in a, in a sentence form. So if you put that on the screen, I want us all to say this together as we start to walk this out. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. 
That is why we are here doing what God is asking us to do, that we could be more like Jesus. So, like, I don't want to just, like, pluck a few verses out and give you the five simple ways and, the, you know, the seven steps to easy. And I, mean, I, just, I want us to understand very clearly as Christians, there's a cross that is expected and demanded of every one of us. And so today, we're going to continue in this progression. And, and what, what we've done is it's entered into a, a, a long-term focus. And it is finding Jesus in every single book of the Bible. We are going through 66 books to discover where Jesus is in each and every book. Because I don't want to just give you a nice, sweet little message. I want to empower you to study the Word for yourself. You are called by God to study, to show yourself approved. You're not going to be held responsible for what I told you the Bible says. You're going to be responsible for what you decided for yourself that the Bible says. So in this progression, today we're going to go into the book of Joel, but in this progression, what happens is, is I try and give just a brief oversight, context, history, and then some insights, application. But what you'll be able to do over time is you'll be able to go back when you're reading your Bible, you log into our website, destinychristian.com, and you'll be able to find messages on each book of the Bible that'll give you a brief overview of history and context so that when you're reading that book, you'll have a greater understanding the blog posts are very extensive and elaborate. What I'm writing about the message is far more than I'm able to get to. So just know that's there. It's available for you. The premise of what we're talking about is found in John chapter 5, verse 39. It says, the scriptures testify about me. Jesus said, the Bible speaks of me. This was before the New Testament was written. So clearly, we find Jesus in every single book of the Bible. So Joel lives in a time when, when Israel was in big trouble. We've been looking at this now for a few weeks looking at the minor prophets coming out of the major prophets. Israel's in big trouble. They've made sinful decisions. Everybody say sin. sin. Like, I mean, very few people are even talking about the idea or the concept of sin in today's church, in today's world. Because what we're trying to do, and again, I'm bucking this. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting this. And I want you to, to enter in as warriors that are willing to fight what needs to be defeated in today's religious Pharisee circles and ideologies that are being proponed, you know, constantly propelled in our face. We're, we're hearing a lot of, you know, nice, easy ways for you to have the best life you can possibly have. And, and what we need to understand... God's primary objective is not for you to have the best life you can possibly have. It's not that he doesn't want to bless you. He does want to bless you. But the kingdom of God is bigger than just you and your little personal blessed kingdom. The kingdom of God is about the sacrifice of your own kingdom so that his kingdom can be expanded and broadened to become everything God wants the world to know and be. So Joel lives in this time where he's calling Israel out of their self-absorbed perspective, much like our Western world is today. And their sinful lives have produced terrible consequences. How many of you know, and, and uh, let, me just, let me just ask it to you this way. How many of you in this room are sinners? See, isn't that funny? And, and, and I'm, I'm tricking you a little bit, and, and, and I like to do that. But isn't it funny? We so quickly identify with that question. But if I say, how many of you in this room are righteous? And when I've asked that before, not so many hands so suddenly went up. And listen... You are inclined to identify with your dysfunction, but you are designed to identify with your destiny. I want to challenge you. Stop 
being so quick and ready to identify with dysfunction and speak up, think up, declare up, step up and identify, you have a destiny. And, and I understand because we've heard it in church and you know, we're sinners saved by grace. And we've heard, just because you've heard something doesn't mean you need to buy into it without understanding. I understand the Bible says while we were, everybody say were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's who we were. That's not who we are. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, we are now a new creation in Christ. All things have what? Passed away. They're gone. All things have been made new, and you and I are not good. We're not righteous. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. How righteous is the righteousness of God? Because, like, I think about Sister Russell down here, and she's like, she's been praying longer than I've been alive on her knees seeking God, and I think of the righteousness of Sister Russell. I mean, that's pretty good. But like, I'm not even that. I'm the righteousness of God. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. That's who you are. You're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're the righteousness of God. That's who you are today. And I want us to see that today. Come on, let's all celebrate that in and declare it. We just received today all God wants to release and stir in our hearts. So many times what we do is we identify with, we lower our standard of expectation, and then we meet that. And, and I have this deep theological clip from The Lion King that I want you to watch. It's profound. I, and I wanted to say the statement that I want to focus in on. You are more than you have become. I wish I had the voice. <laughs> right? You are more than you have become. So let's watch this clip and see. And I want you to see the context of this in this movie. It was a great expression. Simba, you have forgotten me. No. How could I? You have forgotten who you are, and so forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son. Boy, there really is some profound truth revealed in things like that when you watch that. And you see, this is about Father. And you know, God's a lot of things to a lot of people. But until God becomes your Father, your perspective of God will never be right. And that's everything that's going on there. You've forgotten me, so you've forgotten who you are. You're more than you've become. Today, in the book of Joel, we're talking about disobedient Israel that forgot God, their Father. They forgot who God was. They had not been yet introduced to the intimate level of fatherhood, but they had forgotten who God was. And in doing so, they wound up settling for less than they truly were. Can anybody in this room relate to that right now? Like right off the bat, you know, uh-oh, I'm in for it. Just raise your hand. Like I know God is on my side. He's, he's after me. 
but he is right there to help you, not just like chasing you down to get you, chasing you down to bless you, chasing you down to help you become everything he's called you to become. The book of Joel, as I started studying the book in preparation for this, the book of Joel is about breaking the bondage of sin. And I just want to say to you, we're not about just coming together for a nice little encouraging message that we can gather in our groups and have a little conversation. We're about the anointing of God, destroying every yoke of bondage, believing God for impartation out of heaven into our hearts because we're a supernatural people that should be empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the world and turn our city upside down. That's what God's called us to be about. That's why we're doing what we're doing. So understand that as we walk in this, Jesus is revealed uniquely in the book of Joel. He's revealed in amazing ways. This has been such a great journey for me as a student of the Word, but he's revealed uh, in an amazing way in the book of Joel as this incredible Redeemer, the Messiah, who will come and rescue all humanity, Gentile and Jews. This was big news, okay? Like all of a sudden, everybody is going to be welcome in, and this is how Jesus is revealed in the book of Joel. He's the gracious redeemer who rescues us no matter what we've done. And I've been saying this as we've been looking at Israel's disobedience. Um, My daughter, my oldest daughter was reading her Bible the other day, and she came out like mad. And she said, I just, I just don't understand why the people of God just kept doing what they knew they should. They keep on. Every, I'm reading, and I just want to shut my Bible. Like, can you not pay attention and see what you're doing? How many of you ever feel that way? <laughs> Listen, yeah, I just want to make a profound statement. Sin makes you stupid. <laughs> I mean, you see people make decisions, and you just think, why in the world? Like, what happened? And you just need to understand that sin makes you stupid. I want us to understand it a little bit today as we see this. And if you make a, you know, this is what we've been talking about. If you're making a bad decisions in your life, you don't even need a devil to wreck your life. And I thought about this this week as I was pondering. And, uh, you know, my, my, my wife, she's from Muskogee, eastern Oklahoma. And we had gone to visit, and, and she and her sister and her mom all went shopping for the whole day. I want to give you a little advice. Never leave three men bored alone at home. And so like my brother-in-law, my father-in-law and I, we're sitting there and, and my father-in-law feels somewhat obligated to try to make our visits there as uh, enjoyable as possible so that we'll bring his daughters back more frequently. Now grandchildren back. And so everybody's back out shopping and these three guys are there and there we're talking. And, and Gene, my father-in-law, he actually has a few advanced degrees, master's degrees in, in like things I'm not even sure I know how to pronounce. It's kind of science, chemistry, physics type stuff. Used to be a college professor. And so he had recently been invited to judge a science competition. So he starts telling us about the science competition, and it was fantastic. He talked about the potato bomb, and, and the, the winning person was the potato bomb. And so, come on, something that blows up, I'm interested, tell me more. And he said, oh yeah, it's amazing, because like, there are household items you can use that everybody has in their house to make this potato bomb. And, and so, naturally, my question is, so like, you have these items? Because, like, if you have these items, then we have these items. And if we have these items, then we have a bomb. <laughs> and so we started, you know, putting things together. And, and I'm not going to tell you all the stuff that he taught me that day. But let me just tell you, we'll have a good time if you come over to my house sometime and the wives leave. And so we, put, we did hairspray and, and different things that you can put together and mixtures and combinations that make them more explosive. And the first thing that blew up was kind of like this. 
And it was awesome, but you know how it is. You get a little bit and you want something more. And so then the next one was kind of like, Poof. it's like, whoa, that was good. And then they got so big, they got dangerous. And he said, now, I want, <laughs> I want you to understand, we're going to be very safe. I mean, like educated guy. We're going to do a double safety plug-in system and a detonation cap and you run the wires through the cap we drill the holes i mean you know we had way too much time on our hands that day and i became the detonation cap guy and he became the the mixture guy and then my brother-in-law he became the container guy and we all had our jobs and we kept getting until finally we got some things that weren't common household items that that he happened to have because he's kind of that way and and so we started making some major booms out there. It's in the country. So the ladies came home, and we're very excited, proud. Like, like we want to show you something so amazing. We've made the most incredible, like, we found the exact mixture of these items, and it's big. I'm talking big. Like, I'm not kidding you. Big, okay? Think big, bigger than that. And so they're in the house, and we're out there, and he verified the double unplugged system is there for total safety and security. Very cold, dry day. It's important. And so I get the detonation cap all wired, and, and he's got the mixture just right of the, the ingredients that I'm not going to tell you about. And then my brother-in-law, he gets the container, because I know some of you. You would go do this. And then I would be in trouble. And so we, the three of us, we start converging with all of our components and highly, you can imagine, flammable. And in cold, dry conditions, when two hands touch, it just makes a little static electricity spark. And it blew up while my father-in-law was holding it like this. And, I mean, it was bad. Like, fire shot up, knocked me to the ground, fire shot up, burn out his eardrum blew holes into him like the thing blew up and blew into his chest his, his earlobe like his cleft earlobe looks like uh, Holyfield after fighting uh, that ear chewing guy Tyson so, so you know like it was not a pretty night I'm just gonna tell you it was not a pretty night and uh, and and he wound up having skin graft surgery to try and repair the I mean it was crazy and and, and I'm, I'm reminded of this whenever I say to my father-in-law from time to time, knowing he's lost so much of his hearing as a result of this, and, and I say, I sure love you, Gene, and, and he looks at me endearingly and says, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's bad. So, like, how many know you don't even need a devil to wreck your life if you make enough bad decisions? And so that's kind of what happened in this situation. That's kind of where sinful Israel was. They'd made horrible decisions and now suffering the consequences. And now Joel steps up, chapter 1, verse 5, and listen to what he says to encourage them. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. I mean, that's pretty intense. What he's saying is snap out of the stupor of confusion because sin will make you stupid. And when you're in that stupor of confusion, you've got to snap out of it, wake up, and repent so that you will think right. Here's the honest truth about sin. Let's get honest about sin. A sin is attractive. Sin is addictive. Sin is binding. And sin is blinding. That's the honest truth about sin. And we need to see it because the problem with sin, and, and it's just a lie. I mean, behind every sin you ever commit is a lie you decided to believe. That'll tweet, by the way. 
Behind every sin you commit is a lie you believe. I mean, it's all about deception. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to live my life on the pathway to great regret. I don't want to get there. One day in my, I don't want to look back with all this horrible regret because I didn't understand the truth. Wake up and repent. Here, this is your first blank. The problem with sin is when you get what you want, you don't want what you have. So you go to get some more, trying to have what it is you really want. But when you get that, you don't have what you want. And so it's just this constant, vicious cycle. Take it deeper. Now, here's a great memory technique for a particular verse. How many ever, like, you needed to go to the grocery store, but you didn't want to go all the way to the grocery store, and there was a 7-Eleven between you and the grocery store, and so you went in and paid $42 for a gallon of milk, right? <laughs> you, you, know what I, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's ridiculously expensive because it's utterly convenient, Right? 7-Eleven is ridiculously expensive because it's utterly convenient. They know if they can provide that convenience, they'll get you in and charge you like more than you want to pay. 7-Eleven, okay? Romans 7-Eleven. For sin deceived me and it killed me. That's your 7-Eleven verse for the day. Sin deceived me. It lied to me and I bought in and it killed me. Here's the problem. You don't know what it took. You don't know what it takes when sin starts to, when you embrace it. Like, I mean, I just want you to know, I'm not standing up here saying, I've conquered sin. That, that's not where I'm coming from today. I'm standing up here saying, we are battling sin. And everyone, we need each other. We need to gather here, not like, I've got it all right. I'm all good. Just give me a nice little message and I'll do my church thing and I'll be on my way. You are a warrior. You are mighty men and women of God. You have the ability within you by the Spirit of God to conquer every single temptation that ever comes your way. Rise up, warriors. You would never sell your future. Like if somebody came and they said, hey, I'll pay you a million dollars if you'll just give me your future and you'll merely exist and never live for the rest of your life. Nobody would do that. You would never sell your future for any price, but you will exchange it for cheap pleasures if you're not careful. Heavy duty today, huh? It's almost like we're talking about a prophet that was talking to sinful Israel saying, wake up, you drunkards, and repent. And every one of us today needs to break free from any stupor of confusion that the enemy's trying to, to feed us because the devil wants to destroy everything about your future and your life. I mean, behind every, I said again, behind every sin you commit is a lie you believe. And if you don't have the right information, you won't have the right behavior. You got to get the right information. Like I was standing there in the kitchen the other day and, and talking to Tracy and we've got this counter in the kitchen. And so I'm on one side and she's on the other and we're having a conversation and we're going on a trip this week and, and, and blah, 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 blah. And we're going to do this. And we're going to stay. And, and I turn around to do something and I'm talking and I turn back around and she's gone. Like I'm having a conversation with myself. How many of you have ever done that? Okay. And so I'm standing there talking and I look. So... so She's in, you know, the part of the house. And so I said, okay, so when we get there, we will. And she, she had actually bent down to put something in the cat. And she stood up and said, why are you yelling at me? I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were there. See, when you have the wrong information, you will not have the right behavior. 
When you have the wrong information in your life, you are not going to project the correct behavior. That's why we have to have the right information. You don't know why you were made. You can't tell you why you were made. You, you can't figure that out on your own. God made you. You didn't make you. So God has to tell you why he made you. Stop trying to figure out your purpose on your own. Start submitting to what his plans are. If you don't have that information, your behavior is never going to be right. Joel chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. Here's sinful Israel. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. This, this is what they're saying. You've become so self-absorbed, you no longer even bring offerings as a form and expression of sacrifice and worship. Let me just talk to you about this for a second. You'll notice we don't pass collection plates in this place. Like, I've had people come to me and say, you guys don't take offerings here? I want you to know we do. <laughs> but we made a decision, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you, it's a costly decision. But it's, it's what I said at the very beginning, and it's why we're doing this. We made a decision that we're not going to get up and try and talk people out of their rent that week, but rather we're going to try and lead people to be mature disciples who understand the value of giving and that God's plan is for us to perpetually, proportionately, consistently, and intentionally bring an offering to the Lord as an expression of our worship because we're mature men and women of God. That's why we made that move. That's why we made that shift. We're not going to pass offering plates. You can bring your guests, your friends, and we're never going to give them plates because we believe, just what I'm reading, we believe worship has always included sacrificial giving by God's people and God's family to expand God's work in the earth. So let me encourage you, when we come and we worship, find those giving stations at the back. Let your offering be a weapon in the hand of God Almighty that's releasing something of the kingdom of God in the earth as you give and declare, I'm here, God's kingdom is going to expand <laughs> this is an important part of your faith this is a very important part of your faith and that's why we take that approach to it again it's not necessarily what's financially lucrative because there are better ways to make more money but how many of you know in your own life you've figured out there are things more important than making more money if you'll just learn the value system of God he'll take care of it Grain offerings, drink offerings have been cut off of the house of the Lord. Those who minister before the Lord are mourning. The people's joy is, uh, this is an interesting word, withered away. Withered away. It's a really interesting choice of words when you read the Bible and you think about it. This obviously is not something that takes place suddenly. As I was reading this and thinking about that, that gradual progression, your joy gradually diminishes and goes away when you've entered in. Like, you understand, a fallen tree even remains green for a little while. You, you understand, the effects of, of devastating sin and choices in our lives that are disobedient to God, it, they aren't immediate. Like, if they were, we would sin a lot less, but we would die immediately because the wages of sin are death. How many of you are glad God's a little more gracious than that? Like, this room would be very empty. All of us would be gone. The people's joy withered away. And as I thought about that word, I, I kind of thought about this gradual progression of a sinkhole. Like, cars fall into sinkholes. And it just seems, like, and even houses, have you seen them? Like, the whole ground just sinks in, and the houses, entire homes can fall into a sinkhole. That didn't happen, like, all of a sudden. Gradually, 
There was this diminishing of the foundation and the soil and that which sustained strength and, and structural credibility. All that was gradually diminishing until suddenly there was a great crash. I really am trying to help you today. I have just felt all week like God has something so intentional and specific for each person in this room. How many of you in this room just right now admit, I'm not to an altar or anything, I've got another hour and a half to preach. <laughs> How many of you in this room just readily admit, you're struggling with sin and want it broken in your life today? Let me just see. Let's just be honest. I mean, like honesty. I mean, that's a good number of us. We just readily admit. And then like now others in the room have another sin called lying because they didn't admit it. <laughs> it's just comp that's just the way it works. It compounds. So this is, this is the definition we see in Hebrews eleven twenty five. 25. Ple you know, it's interesting because it talks about the pleasures of sin. Again, sin's pleasurable. The pleasures of sin for a season, and then comes the payment plan of regret. And that verse is a really great verse. You can look that up. But that's the idea behind it. It's like Moses chose to be mistreated rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short season of time. Like, it's fun. It's enjoyable. And then something's gone. And, and I posted this this week, and I had quite a bit of feedback on it. Most of it was positive, and some of you might not like it, but, uh, but I, I just said, because, you know, Paul says, I count it all dung, all right? Like, so this is Paul's idea, okay, just so you know that. Be, blame Paul. Uh, this interesting verse when he's talking about, you know, the stuff that he let go of to serve the Lord. And, and so sin is a lot like eating chocolate-covered dog poop. Listen, just because something tastes good at first doesn't mean it belongs in your mouth. How many of you would agree? Like somebody got smart with me on Facebook and said, so how do you know what chocolate-covered dog poop tastes like? And I just responded, it tastes like chocolate at first. <laughs> it, it, the pleasure for a season and then like, no telling <clears throat> afterward. Your destiny is not just about coming out of bondage. Listen, it is not just about bringing you out of bondage. Your destiny is about taking you in to the promise. And let me just tell you something really important. This is pictured in the Israelites. Again, Jesus is revealed. We are revealed throughout Scripture. Amazing insights in Scripture when you start to see all this. But the Israelites coming out of the bondage of Egypt speak of you and I coming out of the bondage of the world system that entangles us. And what happened when the Israelites came out of the bondage of Egypt? They passed through the Red Sea. And that speaks of water baptism. And water baptism is more than just a nice little symbolic expression. We go and we go down in the water and we come up and now we've done the baptism thing. This is a really important thing. The Bible actually says that, uh, that demons hate water. It says that demons actually seek dry, arid places. I think it's in the book of Amos. Interesting. They hate water. Because Hosea says that God poured out his wrath like water. And so water baptism, isn't it interesting? The Israelites came out of the bondage of Egypt, 
And that which had held them captive for years, listen, that which had held their forefathers captive for years, chased them out of Egypt. And the Israelites, they came through the water. And when they came up out of the water, that which had held them in captive for generations, perished in the water, remained in the water. They walked into a greater place of freedom and that which held them captive was broken that day and perished in the water. And I believe when we combine our faith, water baptism is way more than some mere little symbolism. I believe it's serving notice on the devil and generational curses can be broken. As we go down into that water, we're declaring I'm dying to my old self and I'm being raised up to walk in the newness of life, identifying with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So the last Sunday of this month, we are going to have water baptism on our fireworks celebration day. That afternoon, we'll come back. That evening, we'll come back. We'll have food trucks going, whatever, all that's happening. But we're going to do a water baptism right here for anyone in the community to come and see. And I love this. Listen, they didn't just pass through the water when they came out of bondage. They passed through the water when they went into the promise. And there are some people that maybe they came out and they didn't really understand, and, and now they say, you know what, I want to combine my faith, and I'm going to go into the place of promise. And, and it just so happens when Jesus was baptized in water, the Spirit descended on him like a dove. He went into a whole new realm of power and anointing as he went into the wilderness, and then his public ministry was released. Some of you need to be released in a greater place of God's plan and anointing for your life. And I invite you, if you're interested in water baptism, more than just a little symbolism, then that merge card is the way you get involved in, in with anything. It's in the seat back, but write on that today and turn that in for us, and uh, we'll get you on the list and make a, con- make a contact to talk. Very important phrase. This is like, this is important to the Lord. I actually wrote this out of my message three different times this week, and, I, and the Lord told me to put it back in. I'm just going to say it to you. It's probably not even in your notes because it was in and out of my message. Maturity. How many of you want to be spiritually mature? Like, how many of you think we probably don't even know what spiritual maturity really is? Maturity is lessening the distance between sin and repentance. Kind of a crazy thought. It's like what we define maturity. We'd usually define things like more religiously. Maturity is lessening the distance between sin and repentance. Because if you sin and you wallow there in condemnation because you don't know what the Word says about who you truly are, You become much like that lion that we saw earlier. You'll forget your father. You'll forget who you are. And you will not be who God's called you to become because you're just like the enemy hits you. How many ever blew it? And the enemy hits you in the head with a hammer. Let's just see. He hits you hard with a hammer, okay? And like he hits you again, right? And then he hits you and, and you just like don't even, you know, respond with the word. And so finally you take the hammer and you just start hitting yourself. Isn't that true? Some of us don't even need a devil. That's the whole point I'm trying to make with all of this. Stop it. Maturity is lessening the distance between sin and repentance. And Joel 2 goes on. This is Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say to you, you need to have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to be functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't die so we could gather and have teachings. He died so we'd be inspired and empowered as the body of Christ. 
And we need to understand this and not have all the cliche stuff that the church has given us in times past. It's great for where they were, but come on, there's a new age and a new day and a new generation, and they're hungry for the real deal power of God in everyday life of personal ministry. That's what God wants to do. And that's where Joel starts to lead, and this is where we'll start to kind of taper off this morning. But afterward, Joel 228, afterward, I will, in the last, some, some translations say, in the last days, that's like, how many believe we're living in the last days? I, I, it's crazy. Next week, I'm going to show you. Secular historians, secular historians call this past century the century of the Holy Spirit. And the, the evidence is a crazy. When I start to break it down, of course, it's the, year, the century that Israel became a nation. I mean, there are a lot of indicators and signs and so forth. But this is in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. God is having an amazing conversation of love, and he's inviting us to participate. He goes on, Joel chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Rouse the warriors. I love this. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say I am strong. I really wish we had a little extra time here for me to, to break this down for you, but let me just point something out because this is, this is one of my top five favorite verses of Scripture. When I used to lead worship, I actually wrote a song, and it's on an album called Rouse the Warriors, born out of this particular text of Scripture. And it says, rouse the words, let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords. Listen, God wants to give us new strategies for existing tools. All of us think we need something more to be used by God. That's just the nature of fallen humanity. If this, then I'll. God doesn't work that way. Take what you have. All I have is this plowshare. Beat it into a sword. Well, all I have is this pruning hook. Make it into a spear. You're a warrior. You've got to think differently about who you are, and you'll see differently what you have and how to use what you have. And here's such a key. Let the weak say, I'm so weak. I'm having such a horrible day. I'm having such a horrible life. Oh, if my life weren't so horrible. Let me just tell you, life's never about what has happened to you. Life's always about what happens in you when things happen to you. Some people have such tough lives and they have such great attitudes. Other people, they just have such easy lives and they have such terrible attitudes. Let the weak say, somebody needs to say it today. We'll just declare it today. I'm strong. I am well. I'm filled with joy. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. I'm above. I'm not beneath. I'm going over. I'm not going under. Those who can be denied, they will be denied. I will not be denied. Let the weak say, I am strong. All this goes on. Ties in with Revelation 14, Armageddon, nations gather, Valley of Jehoshaphat, amazing book where we get the idea of grapes of wrath. Take a look at the blog for some more on where all that goes. But here's where I want us to land. And I, I Lord, I pray that we would hear what you're wanting to say. Lord, 
deliver me from my own personal agendas that I might stand before your people given to the agenda of God Lord may that be every one of our cry and every one of our hearts deliver us from our own personal agendas that we might go and be the people that you've called us to become Here, here's the thing and you can just you can feel free to look up here as I say this I want to just tell you we are more sinful and flawed than we care to believe truth we are more sinful and flawed than we care to believe but we are more accepted and loved than we could possibly imagine. How profound. The only way those two are reconciled is for us to stop trying to present ourselves as something we're not, admit what we're not, so that we know what we need and embrace what we need in Christ, only discovered in Him. We're inclined to identify with our dysfunction. We're designed to identify with our destiny. So let me just ask this question, like we're family today. This has kind of been a family rant. Every once in a while, the family dad's got to give a little rant. Like if you're here and you say, I mean, the bottom line, I need to follow Christ. Then I just want to ask you that. I want to pray for you and we're family. We want to connect on that level and just believe God. We're going to receive communion all together in just a few moments. But before we get there, you say, I just need to... I need to give my life to Christ. I need to follow Christ. Raise your hand if that's you. I want to pray for you today before we do much else. All right. Thank you. You know this. All right. Anybody else? Thank you. Yep. Yep. Honesty is so good. Like we want to just be legit. How many of you here, you say, God was really speaking to me about water baptism as you were saying that. I know I need to. I mean, I believe it's a spiritual decision we made. How many of you here say, I want to be baptized as soon as you see your hand? All right, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, great, ten, awesome. Awesome. Come on, let's pray. Everybody just say this, Lord Jesus, you're the giver of life. I want to follow you. You lived, you died, but you are alive. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're worthy of all my praise. Be Lord of my life and teach me your wisdom that I might walk in your ways. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Come on, with everything you are, let's give him praise. Let's give him celebration today.